I did listen to Greg and Teresa, and it just we are so blessed in this house with people that are able to share and to articulate the Word of God. I'm so grateful for that. And you don't have to leave wondering what's going to happen. You just know it's all going to work. And uh, I trust God in that. It's just exciting. You know, we, uh, we had an incredible adventure. Um, I think I've been as far as Medford uh, until this. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> but I'll tell you, we live in a beautiful place, even right here in Southern Oregon. Now, up, up towards the Canadian border and all that, it's beautiful, and I, it should be on your bucket list if you get an opportunity. But I'm telling you, home is where the heart is. And I'll tell you, there's nothing more comfortable than your own bed. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but we had a great time. We, um, we had a, a moment where we had a hiccup, our, our truck, which, you know, you plan to do everything you can. We're pulling an RV, a, a fifth wheel, and um, we're in the middle of... Nowhere USA. I'm talking cell phone, no bars. In fact, your phone won't even look at you. You're so far out there. And we're so remote, and I start smelling diesel, and I'm thinking, our truck is diesel, but I'm thinking, it's not my truck. It's that Chevrolet in front of us. It's their truck. And my wife's going, uh-uh, I smell diesel. So I get out and look underneath, and sure enough, diesel's just dripping. I'm going, oh my goodness. Anyhow. We make, it to, we make it to where we need to be. And so I get on the horn and I start with one. It's one of those cell phone things you're holding. You're like standing here. Hold your arm up. Lift your leg up. And maybe get half a bar. And when you talk to somebody, it's like... I didn't hear what you said. I said... You're like... So finally I just said, Father, this is on you. You said that you're yoke is easy and the burden is light. So I'm trusting you with this one, Jesus. And instantly I felt this, this Holy Spirit unction to call Dan Williamson. Now Dan Williamson knows everybody everywhere in the car world. I believe that now. <laughs> so I called Danny and I said, hey, Danny. And he said, you know, I, I, I don't know anybody up in that area. And I went, oh, great. One guy quoted me $800 just to show up to this remote area and he says, I can't promise I can fix it. I knew what was wrong. I just needed the part. So anyhow, the long and short of it is Jamie was with Dan at the moment. And Jamie goes, oh, I know someone. I had a pastor in Medford who just moved to Livingston, Montana. He's, he's good at wrenching. So anyhow, phone call later. He goes, yeah, I can come down there. Let me see if I can get the part. Half hour later, he's got the part and he's on his way. Five hour drive to where we're at five-hour drive. He didn't mention that part. He just comes rolling in, and, and his brother has a diesel shop in Medford, and he says, yeah, I'm here. What do I need to remove? And he says, this is what you need. Anyhow, it went fast, smooth, within maybe an hour, and just fellowshipping and talking, we were done. And I said, how much do I owe you? I owe you a lot. He goes, all you owe me for is the part, 60 bucks. And I went, no, you know, he just didn't want it to see. It's one of those things you're shoving money in people's pockets, you know. But big shout out to Pastor Matt Cook. He was a pastor at Red, Red Rock, I believe, over in Medford years ago. And anyhow, he owns an orchard up north. He's still involved in business dealings here. He's just an amazing brother. So Matt, if you're watching this, bless you. You're amazing. <laughs> but it was during that moment, that downtime, where 
my wife and her sister and brother-in-law, had, they were traveling with us in their own rig. They had scheduled this time to take one of those yellow buses around Yellowstone. And uh, I stayed back because I was waiting for Matt. I stayed back. And it was a very reflective moment. And I'm just sitting here pondering my life and what's going on and how things are going. And I was reminded of being a young man at the Wolf Creek Missionary Alliance Church, and there was this plaque, which is still there today, although it's a different one. They've repainted it and changed the font, but it still says the same thing, and it is that one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I was thinking about that, how in my, and this is my story, in my life, as a young believer, I had this crisis. The moment Mario Murillo called me out, I had this crisis in my heart and my mind. It's like, I had a plan, I had a vision for my life, this is what I was gonna do, I was gonna be, I was moving into the corporate world, and man, I was whoo-hoo! And God just changed that. And I came to this moment, I said, okay, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life, Father? What am I gonna do? This was all new foreign ter- territory for me. And someone came and talked to me one time very shortly after that and said, you know, Jesus is our model, and if he's our model, then we need to follow what Jesus did. So if there was a season of my life where I spent a lot of time following what Jesus did. I quickly learned that in Matthew 4, and you don't have to turn there, I'm just gonna bounce off this, that Jesus ministered, and Jesus taught, and Jesus preached, In other words, Jesus was engaged with people, and it says his fame spread everywhere. Wherever Jesus went, people were healed, all kinds of pain and suffering, and the word tells every kind of illness that was brought to Jesus, they were all healed. I thought, that's the life that I want to live. I want to live on that forward edge. Wherever I put my foot, I bring the kingdom and the power of the kingdom of God, the power of Jesus with me into whatever scenario I step into. That has been probably the guiding force in my life. The moment I found out that God actually had a plan and God had a purpose for my life, like he does for every one of us. When I discovered that that purpose and plan for my life, this incredible clarity, I no longer felt myself drifting like, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? How am I gonna, what, what, you know, what ministry, what, no. When I suddenly realized that my, my purpose is to glorify God. In anything that I do, in anything that I put my hand or my hook to, it's to bring glory to God. That is your purpose too, baseline. That is our purpose. There was such clarity that was brought to my life at that moment that I knew what I was gonna be doing the rest of my life. And that's what I have set my heart to do, and that's what guides me today. So at the end of the day, if somebody says, hey, Pastor or Doug, what is your vision? It's easy. It's to know him and to make him known. It's that simple. I'm not lost in identity. I'm not lost in trying to figure all this out because God has revealed to me that his plan is is that I make him famous, that my plan is that I make him known. In fact, throughout the ages, God's dealing with mankind has always been with the intention of making himself known to us, right? 
And, and, and we see this through, he, he shares in our daily lives, through the scriptures, he renews our minds, he purifies our hearts and our motives to the point of Ephesians 1.12, it says that we should be to the praise of his glory, every one of us. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter one. I'm gonna read through something here that I, I think kind of drives this point home. Ephesians chapter one. I'm gonna start in verse three. Praise be to the God of our Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul sharing. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You imagine that? Before he sent the stars spinning, somewhere before creation, he chose us. That just blows my mind that he knew us before he set everything moving. In love, he predestined, that predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in according with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the ones one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mysteries of his will according to good pleasure, which he proposed in Christ. Now listen, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. And then Paul finishes out with, in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that, here we go, who, that, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And also we were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked, marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is depositing who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who God's, are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Wow, there's a lot there, but I'm telling you, to summarize all that, here's what's going on. Ephesians, Paul is saying that God's vision is this, that we as his sons and daughters might live a way as to bring glory to him again in all that we do. We are called to inspire all those around us to do likewise. His desire, God's desire, is that all of humanity would be drawn to himself so as to receive eternal life. It's that John 3, 16. Rather than perishing into eternal darkness, we would be joined with him into eternity. So at the end of the day, the bottom line is, the main purpose of us, a man, is to bring glory to and to lift up God in all that we do. Jesus, I wrote here, is our identity. He is our chief purpose in this life, and our chief purpose in that is to become and conform to his image. To me, it's, it, it, I may sound like I'm oversimplifying it, I know it's a journey, but that's what I've been called to in my own life, and I believe that's what God is calling you to do. And God lays out a vision of how we can fulfill this, and I believe it's a threefold vision. The first, and I'm gonna hit this very quickly because I wanna go to something really different today. First, he wants us to become more like him. 
That's the thing we're called to. We're being called to conform to the image of Christ. Romans 8.29 reminds us that he foreknew all about us before we were born and he destined us from the beginning that in some translations will say to be conformed to the image, to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest of a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. So God has predestined that we would become like him. In a sense, not that we become him, but we represent him. We become Jesus walking in the flesh here on earth and people experience him through our lives as we bring glory to God. Does that make sense? Number two, we're called to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. It is the Great Commission. In whatever form or fashion that works, it's not all standing down on the street corner. It's not all out going and feeding this or going to that group. There's so many different ways that we can preach and share Jesus, right? but we have to be involved in some way, shape, or form. It's that Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It is the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the nations. Next week, next Sunday, uh, if it all works out right, did you get a contact, be able to contact Leslie? Awesome. Leslie and Adam Babcock, they were former vineyard pastors up in, I believe, Hillsboro. Uh, 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 Leslie led, she was like the Pacific Northwest Vineyard Worship Overseer, leader? Yeah, she's a worship leader. But she put together a worship conference and some other things in the past. They're gonna be here. They're, they're, they're on furlough from Tanzania. A few years ago, they picked up stakes, pulled them up, and they went to Tanzania. They love the Lord. And it's fun to see the different expressions of serving Jesus, serving the body, and serving people outside of our own little world. I love it. When Clyde and Kelsey come back, we're gonna hear amazing things too. So next Sunday, we're gonna have uh, Adam and Leslie Babcock here. If, if it all works out, I'm pretty excited about that. But again, to preach the gospel in the earth, that's the second thing. The third thing is, whew, then this is where it gets really tough. The third thing we're called to do is to promote unity in the body of Christ. Unity. So the context of our relationship with other Christians should be one of, turn to Ephesians 4. Again, the context of our relationship with others in the body of Christ has so much to do with unity, it's crazy. But this is what we're called, to promote unity in the body of Christ. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, verse three, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. By the way, this is called, in some teachings, the seven planks of unity, or the seven stones of unity. But it's, there is one body. There is only one Spirit. Even as ye are called in one hope, of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So we do have the capacity in Christ to be able to walk together in unity. 
Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17, 21. Remember that big prayer? It was a beautiful prayer, but in his prayer, Jesus says, I pray that they all may be one as thou, Father, are in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that he has sent me. If Christians came together and walked in true unity, I believe we would see this expression of Christ rise up where the people could they'd look at it and go, now there's something different. How is that working? There's gotta be something that's making that work and in that they're drawn to Christ. But why is unity so hard? Why do we see much, so much disunity in the body of Christ today? Why is there so much division? Why is there so many fractions? Why is there so many people saying, no, it's this, it's that, it's that, no, it's this. You know, we baptize with just sprinkles. We fully dip people, because you're wrong. You see what I'm saying? It gets crazy. So is this kind of unity even possible where we become one? Man, I grew up on this stuff, and I'm still looking at people going, where is the unity that the Word of God talks about? And God began to give me a revelation that I want to share this morning. Listen, unity in of itself is neutral until it's given a purpose. You understand that? It's just a word. Unity's here. It's neutral until it's given a purpose. So think about this for a moment. If, this may be a bad example, but what if, if Herod and Pilate were in unity or unified about their common disdain or scorn for Jesus, was that good unity or bad? It wasn't good, was it? So can there be something unified around something that's bad? Of course, we're seeing that today in, in the capital C church. There are denominations that are out there that are voting and they're passing these, these new laws within their own church that, and denominations and shifting and changing their doctrines to the point that they're, they're blessing biblically forbidden things and saying it's okay. And they've all voted and they're all in unity about it. And these are, these are let's be honest, these are Protestant denominations. Is that a healthy unity? Is that the kind of unity Jesus is talking about? Paul's talking about? So to call believers to unity, I don't know if that's enough. I think we need to have an understanding of what true unity really looks like. Now this is so big and so huge, and I'm just skipping the top. But hear my heart this morning, okay? <clears throat> if the prayer that Jesus prayed that was found in John 17, 21, that they may be all of one, all be one, that's Jesus' heart, that we would all be one. Think about this for a moment. If, if the body of Christ walks in unity, go back to the Tower of Babel. Look what happened when all these people came together for one common cause. Now, it wasn't God's heart, and he did not bless it. In fact, he wiped it out. But the synergy that was created when everyone came around something was huge, wasn't it? So think about it. Satan's watching this going, whoa, 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 hey guys, if they get unified in all of this, we're done. So his goal, and he set his heart to divide as much as he can, to separate. We're going to get into that here in just a moment. But just think about this. Every time God creates a powerful truth, something amazing, what does Satan do? He comes along and he creates a counterfeit. 
And I believe that, Jesus, that God uh, has, has true unity and the enemy has created a false unity. And they're so close. And I'm watching the body of Christ and people kind of being drifted and sucked into some of this. So my heart is I want to make you guys aware of what's going on. <clears throat> so let's talk about true unity really quick. Turn to Philippians 2, and I'm going to start in verse 1. Here's what Paul had to say about unity. He got pretty deep here. Paul had such a heart for unity. Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then he says in verse 2, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Stop the bus. Stop the bus. What in the world is Paul talking about here? What does he mean, what mind? What does he mean, what love and what accord? What is he talking about? Paul goes on and he answers it in verse 5. He said, in your relationships with one another, have this mind among yourselves. Again, we're talking about the context, the context of true unity. He says, have the same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied, the Greek translation of the word empty would be kenosis, or kenosis, uh, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So Jesus had this kenosis moment where he emptied himself. He didn't just set everything and ditch it. He simply veiled his glory. And he came and he chose to occupy, occupy the position of a slave or a servant. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. That is the model for us. So it goes without saying, and I'm sure you've heard it in this context, that the hallmark of Christianity is love, right? And the apex of that love is self-denial. So verses three and four drill this home. Let's go back up to three and four. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Oh boy. Wait a minute, let me read that again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but, to, to each, but each of you to the interests of others. This is the mindset that we are to have. This is a unity of service. There is such a unity that comes out of just serving one another. Putting our own stuff aside, putting our own agenda aside, getting in there, rolling up our sleeves and just serving one another. There's something that happens in that moment. I don't know why this thing's drifting in and out. Do you know why? I got my, well. Which all of this is done within the bond of love. Love is like that synovial fluid that flows through all of this and keeps all of this moving. When we truly love one another and serve one another, we're not easily offended. We're not 
It's like the Velcro comes off and things don't stick as easily as they did in the past because it's not about me. It's about somebody else. It's about you, it's about you, it's about you. Amen? Are, are you guys hearing this? It's getting kind of quiet in here. I've heard people over the years say that Christianity is just some kind of mindless submission and to conformity. That's not true. We're not a cult. That's what a cult is. We're not a cult. Jesus, listen, Jesus, and in that context, other people say, well, God wants me. He doesn't want my personality. He wants to change the way I look and walk and talk. No, God, God didn't come to take away your personality. God came, if anything, to take away our sins. And, and so the body of Christ consists of all of these members that are different in the way they function and they flow and they move together, and that's exciting to me. I wouldn't want everyone to be like me. Thank you, Jesus. Or everyone to be like you or you. We're all uniquely different. That's what makes us so unique. It'd be like eating salad that just had spinach lettuce in it. I love tomatoes in my salad. I love carrots in my salad. I love other things in my salad, right? So it's that, it's that, it's that mixture that God brings together. What's cool is, is all of these gifts that God created have different functions, but all of, they, all of these functions for one main goal, they're all pointed towards love. Love. So things like difference and uniqueness and all that cool stuff, to me, should be celebrated. Paul was probably the most eager of all the writers that I've read who loved to communicate this idea of unity. He loved the idea of unity around the multiplicity of this charisma, of, 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 of just the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And thanks to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the church has become, when they're all clicking and all hitting, and they're all working, then we see this body of Christ becomes a rich and vital organism that boom, 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 that just is full of life and brings people to it and, and, and unity's gathered around things that the spirits are doing and all kinds of crazy stuff happens. I love that moment. But true, I wrote here, true unity, true Christian unity is all aimed at towards the good of the other. Whether that's through acts of charity, giving, helping, and serving, or even by adherence, I wrote here, to the natural and moral laws that are revealed to us through creation and through the person of Jesus. Things like the fruit of the Spirit. If we're walking in unity, patience and kindness will give way, will lubricate, will, will kind of oil things up so it's not so rough. It, we're easy, we can move through things easier. You ever had that moment when you just went, oh, I'm gonna choose to be kind. And it just went better. I'm gonna choose to be patient. Long-suffering, patience. I, how many have had to work on that one? But when you get it, there's a peace that comes and something in your heart just settles down. Guys, listen, where there is love, there is no compulsion. Steve Shaw used to say, and I loved it, I don't know where he got it, it was a powerful statement. He said, love gives a choice. Where there is love, no one's being forced to any, do anything. If you feel like you're being forced to do something, something's not right. And, and we need to talk because that is not our heart. That's not the leader's hearts. No one wants to force anybody here to do anything. That's not love. Where, the truth, where there is truth, there is freedom. Thus, I wrote here, in the unity of Christ, we're able to grow into, into our full potential within a loving community. And I think our greatest example, our greatest model of an incredibly loving community, in fact, probably the first community is the Holy Trinity, where you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all moving harmoniously together 
in unity, right? Can you picture that? The Trinity, the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all for our good. Now, let's get back to false unity. And this is where it gets, this is where it gets deep, and I hope you can hear my heart. Satan has a goal, but his goal is not that we would all become one in the same spirit. It's not. But that we would all be uniform. His goal is that we would all conform to this one walk, this one talk. And in order to create this kind of false unity, I believe this is something God just is revealing to my heart, and I could be way off, and if I am, please don't send me too many nasty emails, okay? <laughs> and that is, in order to build this false unity, well, you're gonna hear it here in a moment, because all of a sudden I think it's gonna ring bells, is he's created a false trinity. And he's using words like equality, humane, tolerance, yes, yes. to create this false trinity. Let me tell you, the enemy's first objective, and you guys know this, this is basic teaching, is to first tear down the unity in the body of Christ. He's so good at that, and he's working overtime in that today. That's why we're seeing so much division, is the enemy has gotten in there, and people are running wild and crazy with doctrines that are not true. And it's really dividing the body of Christ. Now think about the unity of the marriage. Look how much marriage has been attacked in the last few years and beyond. It's brutal, and a lot of marriages are struggling because the enemy has driven a wedge in there. He's driving it apart. And then think about family, the family unit, all being divided, all being divided and running here and there, and it's crazy what's going on. And then it goes farther because that unity within the human person, between your body, soul, and your spirit, that thing that was made and created in the image of God, he's tearing that down. Anywhere he can get a sword in and divide your, your, your spirit from your soul and your body, anywhere he can get doubt or anything creeping in there, all of a sudden it becomes fragmented. And he takes all of these fragmented pieces and he goes, aha! And then he begins to rebuild this false image. And that's what's happening today, right before our eyes. I wrote here, in being equal, there is no, in this word equality, but in being equal, there is no longer such a thing as a man or a woman or a husband and wife. Now, before you throw rocks at me, listen to me to the end, okay? The radical feminist movement, which, now hear me, you guys know that I do support women in ministry. I believe that women are powerful and they have a powerful voice. But there was a radical movement that was driven by Satan himself especially back in the 60s. The women's feminist movement, I think Jesus started when he just said, in, in Christ we're all one now. That's my opinion. But I believe when, when he said, uh, Paul, in Christ we are one. There is no male, female, Jew, Greek. We're all one in Christ, in, in Christ. But I wrote here, the feminist movement was fostered by Satan to erase the different but complementary roles of a man and a woman. Now let this kind of sink in for a moment. And, and, and talk about fatherhood, the crisis of fatherhood that we're seeing today is just another element that's huge. Perhaps it's the most important one that's threatening man and all of his humanity. This, this dissolution of, of 
fatherhood and motherhood are linked to this dissolving of or dissolution of being a son or a daughter. It's all watering it down. So having accomplished this, when he can begin to water all this down and blend us into this kind of a mush of whatever, all of a sudden, he moves to his next step. And that is the erasure, the erasure, that is the, he wipes away, he erases the differences between the masculine and the feminine in terms of sexuality. We're seeing that today, guys. We don't talk about that stuff in church, pastor. Well, I am. Because we need to be aware of this. We need to know how to fight. We know how to push back. We need to be able to recognize when the enemy's slipping in. When this happens, when he erases the difference between masculine and feminine sexuality, what happens is manhood and womanhood are now just a matter of preference. And thus, man and woman are essentially equal. He just wants to make everything bland and equal. But this false sense and limited sense of equality, listen to this, is not restricted to man and woman. It spills over into this distorted understanding of nature in being humane. I've studied this stuff, guys. It gets wonky. That is, animals and plants, maybe of a little lesser intelligence, I don't know, that may be argued, are considered equal creatures. And, and it's in this symbiotic relationship where you have man, woman, animal, and, and you even have the planet and the environment, they all become equal in value. And it kind of, it creates this kind of a cosmic homogenization. It's kind of like throwing everything in a blender and you drink it, it all looks the same. Why do we do that? I like to compartmentalize, no, I'm sorry, anyhow. But listen, here's some examples of this. When this begins to happen, when, when everything, everything, whether it's man, woman, animal, plants, what, the planet, the, whatever, when it all becomes equal, watch and you see what's happening. If you really see it, what's happening is man, in the face of this, becomes of lesser value, especially when it comes to endangered species. Now, I'm all into protecting animals and all that. I get it. I'm all in. I love my dogs. I love cats. I'm... I'm well, maybe not cats. I'm a... <laughs> My dad had a pet skunk once. Anyway, that's another story. But, but like, for instance, this comes right out of a, 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 a you can, I can give you the reference for it if you want, but this is, this is facts. Back in the 70s, Spain passed this great ape project into law. Does anyone know what the great ape project is? Guys, we need to be informed. The great ape project declared that chimpanzees and gorillas were now part of a community of equals. This is real. That was back in 07. And then Switzerland goes on to declare that individual plants have in, intrinsic dignity. Therefore, if you go out and clip, which changed my total, total view of the sound of music, if you go out and you start clipping those beautiful flowers, you're decapitating them and it's morally wrong. This is a law. I mean, it goes on, it goes on. Uh, Ecuador has a new rights of nature and all. It's just, it's crazy. Just as the father and the son are bonded by love, this false unity is all wrapped up and bound with the big T word, tolerance. 
It is. How many of you have heard that word? We need to be more tolerant. We need more tolerant. You know, the tolerance when, I don't know, this movement, when I look at it, it, it seems like its outward form may seem charitable, but when you really look into it, it's really devoid of love, and it seems to be founded on feelings and some form of distorted logic rather than any kind of truth or reason. And, 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 and what we see too is the natural and moral laws are being exchanged for this elusive concept of rights. It's crazy. But it's like if something can be now considered a right, it therefore should be tolerated. And, and, and even if the right is simply created by a judge or demanded by some special interest groups that, or lobbyist group or whatever, regardless if these, regardless even if these rights violate any kind of truth and reason. With a stroke of a pen, somebody can do this. It's not the Sunday sermon you thought you'd hear, is it? But we're going to land somewhere. So on the surface, these words like tolerant, humane, and equality are terms that appear good. And in their purest form, they can be good. I certainly tolerate my grandkids screaming at despots I never knew existed running through my house with one finger. I can only plug one ear at a time. It doesn't work to plug the other one. You understand, tolerant, equality, humane. I, I love animals. I, I do, man. I grew up with horses. We had 21 horses when I was a kid. We were horse poor. I, I get all that. But they don't trump people. We got to get this right. It's so wonky. But here's what happens. Even though some of these words like tolerant, I wrote humane and, and, and equality are terms that appear good. Satan, he's the father of lies. So he takes everything that's good, that everything that God intended for good purposes, and he puts a spin on it. And through it, he brings confusion, smoke and mirrors. And what he does is he ensnares souls through this moment. So once this trinity, I'm calling it, of falsehood coalesces in all three of its aspects. What happens is it prepares the way for a whole new wave, a whole new reset, and that's what we're seeing today. There's a reset coming, and it's a whole new world that has this thing they want to bring and force everyone into it. I'm not buying it, and neither should you. The problem is, I wrote here, the very nature of tolerance is that it cannot tolerate that thing or institution which holds the, ideal, the idea of moral absolutes. That's where it's going to all fall apart. The scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Conversely, where the spirit of the Antichrist, what I mean by Antichrist is not a person as much as it's anything that's anti-God, Antichrist. So where the spirit of the Antichrist is, there's nothing but confusion and there's nothing but coercion. And we're watching, at least I'm seeing it and I know some of you are too, we're seeing this, this false unity expanding now and it's like this new global phenomenon and people are just buying into it left and right. Oh yeah, I believe it. Oh, yeah. And it's preparing a way for everything that can become antichrist. 
The problem is, at the end of the day, is this kind of thinking leads to this moment where each individual must be accounted for within that sphere of Trinity. Think about this. Control is the underbelly of tolerance. Control is the underbelly of intolerance. It is the antichrist glue. It's definitely not love. It's the glue. And the, the, the bummer for them is, is that one loose part in this mechanism can destroy the whole thing. So what happens is, is each person must be carefully organized and integrated into this false unity. They must learn to conform and walk this way. Say these things. That's why you hear talking points. They're all the same. You ever notice that? More and more talking points are just the same. They're trying to get everyone to believe that that is the truth. So they're all saying the same thing, but something in your spirit is going, that ain't right. That's not right. That's not what the word says. If that's you, good for you. Stay on that. I wrote here, bound and conform to its political expression. That's one of the goals, which really at the end of the day is fundamentally total totalitarianism. These are some big words. But total totalitarianism is this form of government that attempts to assert control over the lives of its citizens. Well, that ain't happening today. Are you kidding me? It's happening. Yeah. And you know what? We need to know where we stand. And this is all about unity. And it's like, how does this all fit together? But God. But God. So can we actually come into the unity of the faith? Of course we can, but God. We can have the same mind. I believe we can have the same love and be a full accord. Does that mean we always we look at the same thing with, no, we all have different unique perspectives and that's okay. But at the end of the day, our common unity is Jesus. He is the liberator of our faith. He's the liberator of our souls. He's the one that has set us free. So let's turn to Ephesians 4. I'll be wrapping this up here in a minute, but... You guys have heard this many, many, many times, I'm sure. But this goes beyond just talking about the fivefold ministry. I'm going to read Ephesians 4. I'm going to start verse 11, I believe. That's what I wrote, so I hope that's correct. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, some as pastors and some as teachers for, uh, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for edifying the body of Christ. Stop. So God gave these fivefold gifts, these ministries, for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How many understand the fivefold ministry? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the, okay. Now listen. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure and of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And it goes on. Thence that we <clears throat> henceforth be no, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunningness and craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. By speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitted jointly together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part 
maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. It's a powerful passage. Very powerful passage. But the unity of faith, let me back up here again. You know, again, this, this scripture states, if you read it in its entirety and you don't whitewash anything out, reads that when the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors to the fivefold ministry are operating in the church, then unity in the faith will be achieved. Is that not what it says? That's what it says. In other words, when we're hitting on every cylinder. Now, the unity of faith I wrote here in this context is referred to being unified in what we have faith in. Do we have faith in this passage of Scripture that this was inspired and written by God? Do we? Then if that's the case, you're not going to have a problem coming into unity. Yeah, there'll be some nuances and things you've got to work through, but at the end of the day, it won't be a deal breaker. Once we've come into unity of the faith I wrote and were mature, the word's very clear that we're no longer going to be like little babies or children tossed around and carried away by every wind of doctrine. Right now, there are so many winds of doctrines out there flowing around. And I'm getting people listening to them. Have you heard this? Have you listened to that? Man, I'm sticking to the word. I love people sharing. I don't mind listening to that. But at the end of the day, the word, that's my plumb line because I believe it's infallible. I wrote here too, some in the capital C church are even carried away by the windy doctrine that states that apostles and prophets and signs and wonders and gifts of the Spirit are no longer operating today. I hear that. I hear that. There are denominations out there that say, you know, the apostles and prophets, they're done. There's no longer a need for them. And as far as signs and wonders and all that, when the last apostle died, that kind of all fate. How many have heard teachings like that? I have. If that's the case, if that's what they believe, then what happens here is it kind of it nulls out this entire passage. And for them, with that perspective, it makes it almost impossible for them to look at this and agree that we can come into unity of the faith because they're omitting a big portion of the Scripture. We can't do that. We have to read it in, in its entirety. And if you don't understand it, ponder it, dig into it, lean into it. Like the song said this morning, I love this, about just coming to the Lord. Let me, let me just put it this way, if, and, and I'll kind of speed this up a little bit. If, if we want to really walk in unity, the starting point for us is to be on our face, to be in His presence, because in His presence, when we're truly seeking Him, we're digging through the Word, and we're really looking for the truth, it will burn out any false teaching, any false doctrine, any of that stuff that you've carried in your heart, it will burn it out in His presence. That's where we need to start our day. That's where we need to start our moment. That's where we need to spend our time and make it quality time. In His presence, we are made complete. We are made whole. So this question of can we walk in unity? Well, I'm telling you, it all starts with going back to our knees. Jesus, help me out here. I've heard this said, I've heard that said, I've heard this said. Where am I at in this? He will show you. He will lead you and he will guide you. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and then all of this, all these things will be added unto you. I'm telling you guys, there is a world out there that Satan has created this counterfeit truth, many counterfeit truths and he's 
sucking people into him. I, I, I'm even, I, I encountered people on my trip that we were in union about the country and different things, but at the end of the day, they weren't walking with the Lord. Now, I can be in agreement with him on some things, but the unity, it's not gonna be there like it is within Christ. Guys, there's a wave coming. That's my job, prophetically, is to warn you. I'm not trying to scare you. Please don't hear that. I'm trying to say, there's a wave coming. Stay in his face. If you need to, like you do with a young child, well, I can't do it with my hook, but you know, you grab their face and you kind of point it towards your, my wife is doing this with one of our youngest grandsons. She says, look me in the eyes, and he's like, no, no, look at grandma in the eyes. Finally, he, and she kind of gently, ding, connection. Keep your gaze on him. Keep your eyes focused on him. He's the giver of life. He's the one that'll help you navigate these storms. I, I, I hope today wasn't a hard word, but I think it's a real word that we need to hear. There's an enemy out there and he's real and he wants to take you out and if he can get you to start thinking and changing the way you look at things and your perspectives and begin to get in there and start slicing away, even getting you to divide between your relationship with your wife, that's a biggie. That's a biggie. Start breaking down the nucleus of the family, that's what he's doing, he's been doing that for years. And then all of this is spun around tolerance? Are you kidding me? And, and, and there's some people that have this, they come to this point where, let me tell you, confusion is the battle plan of the enemy to keep us divided, and he's a master at that. Let me tell you something, Jesus will never compromise truth for the sake of unity. He never will. His word is written, it's in stone, it's done. And that is our plumb. Now listen, there, there's this thought today, even amongst different camps of believers, that, you know, we're never gonna be truly unified, so let's just agree to disagree. But what happens in that is agreement about disagreement is not unity, I think it's simply being nice about disagreement. Sometimes we have to just speak the truth in love, right? Yes. That doesn't mean we go beat people up. It means know your stuff. Know your father. Know the word. Be someone who can divide, rightly divide the word of truth so you can help people walk through these storms. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. One of the things on this journey that was really so evident to me is who controls unity at the end of the day? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that brings unity. Listen to, lean into. You know, I believe that there is a remnant of people who love truth and the Father more than they love themselves. And I believe God's looking for those people and he's highlighting those people. I hope we are some of those people.
I don't believe it's all us. I know there's other bodies and churches out there, and I know we'll figure this out. I believe when the Church of the Valley gathers, our common unity is Christ. And I'm not going to get lost in semantics about whether you sprinkle or you dip or you throw them in and submerge them and leave them there for an hour. I don't know. <clears throat> That's not me. But when they start going into areas that bring in things like, well, you know, we've got to tolerate and we've got to equality stuff and humanity. That's where I stand and say, uh-uh, this is what the Word of God says. Thou shalt not. Amen? Amen. Wow. So, Father, I just thank you for this moment. I just pray for grace on everyone here, God, to be able to hear and receive and to grow from this Word, God. And, and uh, I just thank you for this amazing, amazing tribe, God, and what you're doing in our midst. And I look forward to seeing what you're doing more of in the future. Father, I know right now there's some people in this room that are struggling, having a hard time. It's hard for them to see past even what's being shared because of their own pain. And so I just pray right now. Mm. Let's do this, family. If that's you, if you're just struggling without being asked, no questions, could you just raise your hand? Yeah. Look around the room, guys. Look around the room. Keep them up. I'm going to ask you prayer warriors to gather around these people and pray for them. Don't get personal. Just pray for them because we need people. Yeah, clear back there. There's people up here, over here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, this is what family does. <clears throat> you put your own stuff aside and you go, man, I'm going to go pray for So just take a few moments and begin to pray for these people. We've got time. Let's just do it. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Peace, Lord. Grace. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Just pray for download of revelation, God. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, God. Mm. This is family. This is what unity does. It prefers others. I love this. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, God. <clears throat> Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we just thank you for this moment. 
I pray, God, that you would answer the cry of their hearts. And, Father, that the people that have encircled these people, praying for them, God, that they truly could experience your presence in their own hearts as well as uh, the, the presence that you have in the heart that they're praying for, God. And, Father, we just look forward to leaving here today and being an expression of you to the community, to wherever you take us. Put our foot, God, and at the end of the day, <clears throat> Father, we can rest and, and sleep well knowing that you've got this. You're on the throne. And Father, I pray that we would continue to fall in love with you and the things that you love. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.